Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you're new here, we've been working our way through uh, this book of Ecclesiastes, calling it Life Under the Sun, meaning uh, surviving, getting through this life, having a right perspective on this life, seeing what uh, the Word of God says, but in particular, uh, we're listening to one who has experienced life probably in a way that uh, no other one person has uh, uh, had the advantage of doing that, advantage at least for us, that he could go through those experiences and, and share with us the things that he has found to be satisfying, but also the things that he pursued that he has found to be empty. Uh, let's pick up in chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. Try to think, what would that event be? Same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, so, the good, uh, so to the good uh, and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog's better than a dead lion. Uh, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more shame in all that is done under the sun. Verse 7, go, eat your bread in joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we read this somewhat puzzling passage, especially if it's a first-time read, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, the author of this. You preserve this for a reason. 
so that we here today in this place would hear from you, and that is our desire. And so we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you are on a hike, and you're walking through the woods. The path takes you to a creek that uh, you see the path goes out the other side. And so you're going to walk across this creek. It's rather rapid, but it looks fairly shallow. And so you decide, well, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll go across. Now, if you got down to ground level, you could look across and you could see that there are some rocks above the water. They're dry. But then when you stand up, you realize, I can't make it to the, the first rock and the second one without also getting in the water. And so you decide that's your only option. And so you place your foot down, get used to the water, and you quickly realize this rock is slick. The algae, whatever growth is on it. You can see it, it's somewhat distorted. But you realize that if you're not careful, you're going to slip, maybe fall. And so you carefully go across until you get to the rock that's above the water. You step up on that and there you are, safe and dry for the moment at least, until you step down again into the water. As we have been going through this book of Ecclesiastes, so far, Solomon has been talking about those rocks under the water. He's been talking about the dangers, the, the snares that we can fall into if we're not careful. He talked about in his own life trying to pursue meaning through wealth, education, sensual pleasures, and on and on, various things that he tried, and he found them empty. In fact, those very things that are not bad in and of themselves, if they become the end what can happen is that they can be slippery. If you're not careful, you'll get sucked into them and they'll cause a fall. Now, he begins to turn a corner. And today in this passage, he's about to talk to us also about some of those big rocks, those dry, safe places, these truths of life, the verities of life, things that you can count on, you can rest upon, and you can be safe. Now, they might not be all the things you think they would be, and yet he brings them out in the light of everything that he has said so far in the book about all of his various pursuits, and now he's about to 
tell us what, what some of these uh, uh, rocks that we can stand upon and be safe are. Now, in terms of standing on these, these are the truths, things that can be counted on. Now, look, I want to tell you right up front that I'm taking these from the Bible. That's what we do here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian. Uh, people search for truth in all kinds of places. And if you're here today and you don't necessarily believe the Bible or you don't, uh, you're, you're not in relationship with Christ, I am delighted that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. But I want to just be right up front where I'm coming from and also to challenge you in terms of where do you find your truth? You might say that's pretty narrow to find it in the Scripture. Well, it's, it's our belief that if there is a God and if He chose to communicate to the world that He created, we believe that He has done so in the Bible. Now, ask yourself, where do you find your truth? Is it, is it in other books? You'll find plenty of books that will conflict with one another, certainly, as you would say about the Bible as well. Is it on, on the news? Well, all you got to do is change one channel over and you can see contradictions there. That's easy enough. Maybe the newspaper and, and you think about various things like that or where have I gotten my truth? And you may say, well, you know what? There is no absolute truth. Well, if you believe that, you've just stated an absolute truth in your mind. You're saying that's absolutely something that I can stand upon, that there's no absolute truth. So the only question really is where you're going to find it. I was driving along this week, and... Uh, you know, it's, it's nothing for me, especially in this, this kind of weather, to uh, check out the digital signs like we have out here and see what the temperature is. And then it's also typical for me to, then when I go in a building or, or come back here, I'll say, man, it's 100 degrees outside or whatever I saw on the sign. Well, I'm driving along and I, I look at a sign, I wait for it to change to the temperature and it says 257 degrees. Now, it was hot that day, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't that hot. And it was just a reminder. You know, things that we see out there, how much can we absolutely count on them? And so, unashamedly, I'm going to give you the verities that Solomon gives, and we'll, we'll go from that perspective, and I would just challenge any of you to compare these. I, I, I believe they're eternal truths. They're universal. Whether you believe them or not, they're still universal. So let's look at those big stones. First of all, God is sovereign. And by the way, we've sung about that again and again today and spoken of that. Verse 1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. That means he's in control. 
He is all-powerful, completely sovereign. Well, you mean, doesn't that make us robots then? If, if God is sovereign, doesn't that impinge upon my freedom? Well, that's a hard question. I will just say that right up front. Theologians and philosophers have discussed down through the centuries how those two can possibly fit together. And you can make the decision. You can say, no, absolutely. Man's freedom is ultimate. Or you can say, well, God is completely sovereign and I am a robot. I've got no choice whatsoever. But the problem is that the Bible teaches both, both and. So how, how are they going to fit together? His plan is carried out. His decrees will not fail, but I am free and I make choices in this life every single moment of my life, and both are taught in the Scripture. But if God is God, why would we think that just because we can't easily comprehend all of his ways, that they can't be that way. And so, until he tells me differently, I choose to believe that God is completely sovereign and he is a great enough God that he does not have to impinge upon my freedom as well because both are taught in the word of God. But I can assure you, nothing will take place According to Scripture, nothing will take place unless it's permitted by God. That's one of the the stones, one of the rocks we can stand on. A second one is that death is a certainty. Verse 2 and the first part of verse 3, I'm not even going to read it again, but that's the event that everyone, it says, uh, goes through. It's death. Since Adam and Eve, when death came into the world, it became inescapable. The good man and the unrighteous. The truth teller, the liar. The rich and the poor, the educated and uneducated. You know, the the thing that, that all have in common is that they will face death. Now, we all claim to understand that death can happen at any time. Some years back, uh, I had some broken bones in this finger and this hand from a a very dramatic softball accident uh, that that was completely from a bad hop. It had nothing to do with my slow reactions at third base. (laughs) But I broke my hand in a a number of places. I had to have surgery. And uh, so the day of the surgery, Came. Connie is there with me. They're about to take me in and put me under to do uh, this reconstructive surgery on my, on my hand. And I said to her, remember, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. She didn't laugh. She didn't smile. She didn't find that humorous one bit, and I wasn't really being humorous because anytime you go under, it's a good thing, and I always thought that'd be a neat thing for the last words that I ever said if that was the case. But how much do we really believe that, really? Do we, do we think about that? 
a number of times in my ministry, I have had someone here on a Sunday morning and they were with the Lord before the next Sunday morning. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anyone. It's reality. One time, a woman sang in the choir that morning before our evening service. She was with the Lord. Every week, someone, and usually more than one in this sanctuary, loses someone. Sometimes it's very suddenly, sudden and unexpected. But whenever that takes place, it should be a reminder of us that death is inevitable. We will all face that. What does that mean for me in my life? It's a certainty. And so we who follow Christ of all people should not be shocked or surprised when it comes. It is a verity of life. We'll see what difference that makes in a moment. A third one is the human heart is full of evil. The second part of verse 3 says, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. Now I know, that sure sounds pessimistic. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's so negative for you to say that the human heart is full of evil. It is the doctrine, a part of the doctrine that we call total depravity, our inability to get to God because, going back again to Adam and Eve, our hearts are full of evil. Now, how we understand that, whether we believe that or not, is going to make a big difference in how we treat others and how we cope with this life. Let's take the other view. Some would like to say, no, our hearts are all, they're good. That sounds so much more positive. And you may be one that wants to be on the positive inside and, and, and say, no, our, our hearts are completely good. Well, the, the problem with that is, is it doesn't fit with the world that we see around us. It doesn't explain a thing. It doesn't explain the difficult things that go on in this world, the evil things that go on in this world, the suffering that goes on in this world. It doesn't explain our three branches of government, you know, all assuming that there need to be checks and balances. And yet, the assumption, the belief that indeed our hearts are full of evil begins to explain. Things begin to make sense, and we say, I, I understand, I see that in this world, which is not the final world, but in this world, those things prevail, those things take place. And so it, it explains some things, but it does something else, and that is it drives us to the only answer to hearts that are full of evil and that is that they can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that's precisely why Jesus came and he died on the cross, was because hearts are full of evil and they don't have to stay that way. It's a verity of life. The fourth stone 
is that the living have hope. Verse 4, actually 4 through 6, but verse 4 says, He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. What in the world is that talking about? When, when you see in the scripture, especially the Old Testament, it talks about a dog or a living dog, don't think of your sweet little puppy dog. Think of a diseased, evil, mongrel dog that roams in packs and uh, the people are afraid of. That's how they looked at it. But he said, look, and, and, you know, and then you have the lion, the majestic lion that, that people see as a wonderful symbol. He says a dead lion is worse off than a living dog. So he's, his, his point here, his only point is this. As long as there's life, there's hope. That's why taking one's life is not the answer because it's the removal of the final opportunity for hope. Now, these are some truths we can stand on. But if we stop here, I I will just say, we're not going to stop here, but if we did, it would be easy for someone to say, well, that's God's way. That's pretty negative. But here's the amazing thing. I'm convinced it is actually by facing up to life, the realities of life, not what I would like it to be, but the realities of life, by facing up to them and standing on the verities given in the Word of God, it gives us the potential for a full life. In other words, not just to survive living under the sun and just twiddle our thumbs until we we go to heaven, but to have a, a full life because we've got a different and a right perspective on this life. Let me give you some examples of what he says. Look at verse seven. We should find pleasure in the good gifts of God. Verse seven, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Now, that almost sounds contradictory to what uh, Solomon's just stated, these things that that tend to sound negative. And then he says, but go enjoy these things uh, uh, of, of God. Now, some of you, and I don't want you to do this, which, by the way, he said that uh, several times in chapter 2, 3, and 5, uh, very similar things. But I don't want you to use this verse. I know some of you are saying, oh, I found me a new life verse, you know. <laughs> I don't want you to ab- abuse that, you know, to somehow justify a hedonistic lifestyle. Because very quickly, he gives us that which makes this a godly thing. In other words, yes, we enjoy this food, this wine, and, and these good things of life. We enjoy these, but not as an end in themselves, but because they are good and beautiful gifts from God for us in this life. And then he gives the check and balance, verse 8, to live in purity and in the spirit. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So, so there it is. In other words, it's not just hedonism, not just pleasing myself with these things and saying, "Uh, this is one way I can get through life. If I eat enough of this or drink enough of this, that's not the right way. 
but instead it, it talks about um, garments being white. And that, that in the scripture is, is talking about a, a righteousness before God, a purity in our life. And when it talks about uh, oil, that, that's symbolic of the Spirit of God. And so here it says, this is how we enjoy these good gifts of God. They are given from him. We enjoy them and we can bring glory to God by enjoying these. And then he talks about enjoying family. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Now, you know, how great is that, right? that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. I would not recommend you put this on a Valentine's card or an anniversary card. (laughs) It's just not that romantic. But there's an important thing it says here. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your Vain life. You know what it's saying? That's a gift from God. We should enjoy our family. Husbands, enjoy your wife. Wives, enjoy your husband. I think we we take from that. And by the way, it's interesting that here is Solomon who had 700 wives. He doesn't say, Enjoy all your hundreds of wives, all of the, does he? In fact, he experienced all that and said, no. It went back to the way it was in the very beginning. One man, one woman. Enjoy, singular, your wife. When it talks about the toils of this life and your vain life and so on. We do need to understand this. I hate to even bring this point up because somebody, especially newlyweds, always get bummed out by this. It's only temporary. It's only temporary for this life. Now, some of you who are in happy marriages are saying, well, that's, why'd you have to say that? You know, I I want to be with my wife or husband in heaven, and by the way, I, I think you will be. It'll just be different. It won't be limited by what this is. I, I, I've used this illustration before, but it helps me at least. It's like a little child. You ask a little boy or a little girl, who do you want to marry when you grow up? You know what most of them will say? A little girl will say, I want to marry daddy. A little boy will say, I want to wear, marry mommy. Because that's the best thing they can imagine at that point. But then they grow up and they realize, oh, there's something better. And they realize it was more than they could have ever imagined at that point. And that's what I believe, I'm convinced that it'll be like in heaven. We'll, we'll know each other, we'll enjoy one another, but, but even way beyond what we could in this life. And then here's another application, uh, uh, enjoying one another, but also being wholehearted. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, 
Do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. In other words, when you go to the place of the dead to which you're going. So it's basically saying attack life. This is a view only one who knows God can have. Now, those who don't know God would disagree with that. But it only makes sense if we know God in Christ. Because if someone sits down and thinks about it, says, what's the use if death is certain? Or they do something like make a bucket list because they say, I want to experience all these things because this is it. So I got to do all these things on this list before I die. And you know what? If, if, if you are convinced this life is all there is, that's, that's the only thing that makes sense. It's depressing. But he says to attack life. Solomon says it should not be insanity. It should not be about the evil all around us, but to attack life. You know, there's many ways to get into a swimming pool. I'm convinced there's really only one good way, especially early in the season. You know what it is? All at once with a big splash. For me, a big splash is the only option when you jump in. But all at once, grabbing it. And Solomon's saying that. We, of all people, have the incentive to take on life without fear, to take the whole bite. Don't wait for retirement or vacation. Love the life that God has given to you. Now, think back to the big stones and what they'll mean for you if you're outside of Christ or if you don't believe what the Bible teaches. Think of those big stones. You're still not going to argue with the certainty of death. Everyone has to admit that. But that will be depressing. The certainty of death and uncertainty of what that means. A different perspective. If you believe what Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Ultimately, And then he says, do you believe this? See, if you don't believe that, the best you can say is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. That's your only incentive for this life. And it's not enough. Because you will eat, drink, and be merry, and there'll be nothing after that for satisfaction. Or what about the human heart being full of evil. If you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin in that kind of a heart, if you don't believe those things, then it's just foolishness and denial to joyfully live life attacking it wholeheartedly. It just doesn't make sense. It can't. But if you believe those things, that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
If you believe, you who have Christ have life and have life forever. If you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to remove the guilt of your sin, you have Christ. And you were loved before you ever knew it. We who are in Christ have every reason to be joyful and live life to the fullest. May God help us to have the perspective of these big stones that we can stand upon and see with the right perspective. We don't need those slippery stones underneath. Let's bow together. <coughs> Lord, we do pray that you will help us to stand on the right stones to see the emptiness of those things that we have seen in Ecclesiastes that Solomon went and experienced and to see the fullness of standing upon the truths that you give and the way that you've addressed them that gives us a joy that we can have. And we pray this in Jesus' name.